Anna, remember that time Emily Dickinson was without hope? to remember that time in a historical podcast. I'm your host, Anna Webb. And I'm your host, Amanda Webb. This is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out on all of their favorite moments in history. And Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Hooray! It's finally 2021. We did it. <sighs> Thank goodness. We did it. This episode is weird. It's weird. So we're recording on New Year's Day, first of all. Yes. Um, It is... 12.30, and I'm still working on my first coffee, so there's your drink update. I'm having coffee. I'm having water. Wow. Um, shocking. And we're recording in the same room for the first time <laughs> so ever. <laughs> weird. It's so weird. I can't tell if I like it or not. Like, we thought it was weird when we started recording over Zoom and we could see each other yeah. for the first time, but this is weirder. Yeah. We've recorded in the same building before uh-huh. we've recorded in separate rooms of my apartment yeah because <laughs> we were like why just like doing it separately but we're at our parents house and so. we didn't want to lug all of our stuff home so here we are right it's weird it's very weird i don't know how to feel about it <laughs> and i'm like not looking at your usually like fo- i would follow along with your notes or you'd follow along with mine as yeah. we like go through but we're just working off one computer it's just very it's weird strange and so apologies if it sounds kind of funky because it's not normal it's like yeah. normally i edit two tracks um, but this will be one, and so there's, like, less I can do about that. So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I also feel like I'm going to keep bumping into you. Probably. sitting very close. So we can both get on the mic. <laughs> we're on one mic. It's yeah. our dad's mic. Like, not our normal setup. Yeah, so. it's funky. So, apologies <laughs> in advance if it's just weird. This is going to be a weird episode. <laughs> That's This is the tone for 2021, apparently. <laughs> just it's immediately just a very strange episode. Yeah, well, the year started out immediately weird just because of our circumstances yep so here we are here we are let's do it let's talk about emily dickinson yeah i'm doing emily dickinson i'm very excited because i love her she's great i love her too yeah so let's learn all about her great So, Emily Elizabeth Dickinson is born on December 10th, 1830, in Amherst, Massachusetts, to Edward and Emily Dickinson. Oh, okay. Well, that's (laughs) named after her mother. Well, we probably won't refer to her mother by her first name most of the time. Okay. Um, She has one older brother, Austin, and one younger sister, Lavinia, I believe is how you say her name, and I'm going to have to say it a lot. So, here's hoping I got it. Uh, her family is pretty well established in their community, so they're not, like, super wealthy, but they're, like, well off and they're well known okay. in her community. Prominent members of society. Yes. So Got her it. grandfather, Samuel Dickinson, is uh, one of the founders of Amherst College. Oh, wow. And he's, wow. like, on the board of okay. Amherst College, and he's a prominent lawyer in their town. Um, and then her father is a lawyer, and he eventually becomes a member of the Massachusetts State Legislature and then the State Senate, and then he serves a term as a Massachusetts representative for Congress. Whew. So he is very He's deeply entrenched in their society. A politician. Yes, he is. He is a politician. Um, there's not a ton known about her mother. Most of her letters from her life were lost. Um, That's sad. She's usually described as more passive. Emily didn't have a really strong relationship with her. Um, so we don't know if that's because they disliked each other or if it was just they, I don't know. We, we don't really know what hmm. the situation was there. Um, she 
and we'll get into this later, but she takes care of her mother for a long time later in her life, and I think they get closer then, but in her childhood, they're not super close. So Emily and her siblings all attend a one-room primary school that's just, like, in their town. I love those little one-room schools. I know, they're so cute. We visited one in, like, the fourth grade, Mm -hmm. and I was, like, obsessed with it. Well, there's one um, at... One of our little historic places Fort New in Salem our area is the one that we went to. Well, the part of um, Henderson Hall, there's a little one room schoolhouse oh, yeah, out right. there in their like backyard. It's that's weird. Right. There's we, all kinds I just of ones in this area. Going to Fort New Salem and sitting in the classroom, I love that. And then we made candles. Oh, and the way we made candles is that they we had like a it. bucket of wax, uh-huh. and we all stood in line and we walked dipped. in a circle and dipped. Yep, and then go back to the end of the line, and then when we got there, we dipped. We <laughs> did that at um. Oh, why can't I think of it? I don't know. I can't help you. Campus Martius. We oh. did that same thing at Campus Martius. It was so fun. Um, so, yes, they went to a one-room primary school. Uh, in 1840, Emily begins attending Amherst Academy. Amherst Academy was formerly a boys' school, and it started accepting female students, I think, around the time that she started going okay. there. Um, and it is attached to Amherst College. So Amherst College grew out of that school. Mm. And so they, they have like a... And then the kids who came out of that school would, would go, go to, to Amherst College. College. Yeah. Um, so Emily receives a really high quality education compared to some other women of her time. Like she gets to attend lectures from Amherst College right. while she's in school because oh, the yeah. schools are connected. Um, and also just because not a lot of women got to go to school at that mm. time. So she she... Her father wanted all of her children to be educated. Or all of his children to be educated. Mm-hmm. Later, he's a little more like, and now you should be doing work. You know what I mean? Of like, course. yeah. But he, when they were young, he wanted them to be knowledgeable right. people. Uh, she's very successful at school. She loves her studies, which is not the case for a lot of the authors that we talk about on this <laughs> no, show. They usually true. hate school. That's um, true. But she loved school. Uh, she loved being there. She's very interested in the sciences, mostly in botany, um, which oh. we will talk about more later. She she was very much a botanist in spirit. <laughs> An um, avid gardener. And a lot of sciences will come up in her work later in life. Like, she writes about mm-hmm. science and... Right. She writes about science and religion a lot, and... How they're connected and how they conflict and blah, blah, blah. Um, So a lot of that interest stems from this time in her life. Uh, Emily is troubled by death from a very young age. That was a weird turn we just took Yes, it was. I'm aware. Um, But this is something that follows her for her whole life. And it starts about this time in her life. So in 1844, her cousin dies. And she's so upset by that death and she becomes so, like, melancholic that her parents send her to stay with a, some family in Boston to, like, help her spirits recover. Because she, I think she was just so depressed and they didn't like having her around when she was that depressed. So they sent her away to Boston. And they thought, maybe some fresh air in Boston. Boston. <laughs> no offense to Boston. I love Boston. Yeah. But it's we also. We had a great time in Boston. Also a city. like called the air super fresh. Yeah. Um, Except by the water, I guess. I guess, yeah. Um, But this is something that will follow her for the rest of her life. She has a lot of trouble with death. Mm. And she writes about it a lot because she's fascinated by it and she's frightened of it. Um, While she's studying at Amherst, she makes a lot of her lifelong friends that she will know for, you know, the rest of her life. Of course. Including uh, Susan Huntington Gilbert, who will eventually marry her brother Austin and will come back to Susan Gilbert. She's a very important (laughs) figure in her life. Um, But this is around the time when she meets her. In 1845, a religious revival begins in Amherst, and it's, it's a lot, <laughs> as all religious revivals are. Yeah, it's, it's, I was going to say, you don't really need to qualify that. It's a lot. <laughs> um, 
at first she gets like kind of caught up in it and she's like oh jesus um <laughs> but it, it like does not last at all she doesn't ever become a member of a church and then later in her life she's very much on the other like yeah. i don't know about this not so sure about the whole religion business yeah. yeah um so that is also something that's influential mm-hmm. in her young life is that that's happening around her um before she finishes school at Amherst, she becomes friends with uh, Leonard Humphrey, who is the new principal of the school. Oh. And he is probably the first in a series of men in Emily's life that she considers mentors. So okay. this will come up as we go through her life. She meets men who she'll write to and become friends with who mentor her through Got her it. education and stuff like that. Emily finishes her schooling at Amherst Academy in 1847, and she begins attending Mount Holyoke, Holyoke. yeah, yeah. <laughs> female seminary. I know that one. Yeah. Huh. Um, the okay, so <laughs> the women at Mount Holyoke are divided into three groups, so they get like assessed on their like religious well-being. I was gonna say, is it like reading groups in first grade, like? <laughs> You're in the blue group, you're in the green group, and you're in the yellow group. And none of that means anything except for the yellow ones are just, like, a little slower at reading. Or, like, soccer teams, right? Yeah. Like, you're the Panthers, because you're really good. And you're, like, the Otters, because, like, you just want to have fun. Kind of. It's yeah. kind of like that. They, they like, you know, do spiritual assessments with them okay. throughout. And then they, like, categorize them into established Christians <laughs> Those who expressed hope and those who were without hope. <laughs> and Emily fell into the last group. Utterly without More hope. often than not. So hopeless. Um, She just had no interest in it. It was a school that she was going to because she wanted to continue school. Right. Not so much because she wanted to be very religious. Wow. Hard to find a school that fits that, um, that can do both for you. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, This... Quote, really made me laugh. So years later, fellow student Clara Newman-Turner remembered the moment when Mary Leon asked, she was the head of the school, okay. um, asked all those who wanted to be Christians to rise. Emily remained seated. No one else did. <laughs> Turner reports Emily's comment to her. They thought it queer I didn't rise. Adding with a twinkle in her eye, I thought it a lie would be queerer. <laughs> So there were like she's funny. There were like rumors that she was the only one in the without hope category that she was like the only that would be student amazing. which would be iconic. But I there were like that. 30 students so that were in that category. When they were divided into the groups, did they like have classes with I groups? I don't know. I couldn't Or was it just a way that they like I think they it were was like, just that's one of those ones. I think it was like measuring their pro- Christian progress. Okay. Cuz those who expressed hope So it's hope, more like a ladder. Yeah. Okay. I, those who expressed hope were essentially, hopefully going to become established Christians. Right. Right. Well, it was a seminary. Yeah. Also. Yeah. But I think the without hope category was y'all are here for School. book learning, <laughs> not for what Bible a, learning. What a weird concept. What a weird concept. She leaves Mount Holyoke after 10 months. Understandably so. Um, There are a lot of different reasons why she might have left. Like, there's a lot mm-hmm. of theories. Um, some thought that her health was poor, which is possible. She has poor health later in life, so it's possible that also, that's when it started up. the 1800s. Also that. Um, uh, some people think that her father wanted to have her at home, also likely. Um, he was already, like, 
attached to her. They were friendly, and she, he wanted her around. Right. And so it wouldn't be surprising if he was like, it's time for you to come home, you know? Um, some people, you know, thought she rebelled against the fervor at the school, which she absolutely did. Yeah. So that's possible. Um, but they didn't see, they didn't kick her out, so they didn't exactly, seem to mind. Exactly. Um, something she disliked the discipline-minded teachers or that she was just homesick. Uh, I saw another theory that Somebody went back and, like, looked at the book list for the year that she was there, and it was all stuff she had already studied <laughs> so she said, at Amherst. So it's possible she was just like, well, this isn't the school for me yeah. because I've already done all of this. Um, so it's it's unclear, but after but 10 months leaves. at that school, Austin comes in and says, time to come home. And she's like, okay. <laughs> so she goes home. Um, when she returns home, she's expected to spend most of her time on housework of course as women were supposed to whenever they came back from any schooling if they got schooling she's a woman yeah um she does not like that (laughs) doesn't care for it she does become a very accomplished baker Mm. she loves to bake and gardener she's a fantastic gardener i knew about the gardening i didn't know about the baking yes she loved to bake that was her 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 like like one oh yeah (laughs) that was like her one household like duty that she found joy in Yeah. yeah Um, when she is 18, she meets Benjamin Franklin Newton, who is a lawyer and a friend of her father's, and he's another one of Emily's mentors. Got it. He introduces her to a lot of writers. He okay, sends her a lot of books. So this it introduces is, her to their work or to them personally? I did. It, it wasn't, wasn't clear. clear. I okay. think just their work. Got it. Um, so he starts sending her lots of books. So he s- introduces her to the writings of William Wordsworth and Ralph Waldo Emerson, oh, obviously. One of my favorites. Um, she's also very heavily influenced by the writings of Lydia Maria Child, uh-huh. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Uh, she loves William Shakespeare. Well, yeah. She loves William Shakespeare. And Charlotte Bronte. Oh, yes. Um, Emily is given a copy of Jane Eyre in 1849, and it's hugely influential on her. I see that. Yeah. Uh, Jane Eyre was a beast. Yeah. Jane Eyre is... Took me a long time to read Jane Eyre. Yeah. Like a very long time. (laughs) Like embarrassingly long time for an English major. You know? Yes. Um... She later gets a Newfoundland dog, which I didn't know she had a Newfie. <gasps> I love Newfie. I know. Can you imagine little Emily Dickinson with a massive Newfoundland oh, dog? I love it. my dream. Um, but she names it Carlo after a character's dog's name love in that. Jane Eyre. Love that. So clearly it had an effect on right. her in her life. Um, in the early 1850s, Leonard Humphrey, the principal at the school that right. she became friends okay, with, yes. Um, dies suddenly of brain congestion ah, at age 25. I don't He's like very that young. Term. I know. It's not good. Um, brain congestion. Yeah. I wonder what that. Probably fluid in your, like, like he in your spinal or, or Yeah, or something like that. Ooh. I would guess. That's what that sounds like to me. I don't know. Ugh, um, awful. But this death is another one that shocks Emily well, and yeah. sends her back into like a state of melancholy for a while. You mean depression. Yeah, yes. That's that's what <laughs> they mean, refer to it as, yeah. Um, but yeah, every death in her life, she's just like, mm, nope, shuts down. Shuts down immediately. I she has it. a hard time with it. In 1856, Emily's brother Austin marries Susan Gilbert, right. who I had mentioned before. Yes, the friend. Yes. During this time, Emily and Susan become very close. Okay. So, <laughs> Susan and Austin's marriage was very unhappy. Um, okay. Later in their marriage, Austin fi- uh, 
begins in a relationship with a long-term mistress, uh, Mabel Loomis Todd, who's going to come back up later because she's... Susan does not care because she's clearly in a relationship with him. Exactly. Um, Well, she does care. It's very traumatic. She has a very hard time. Sure. Because, you know, she's trying to... marriage is important. Yeah, and she's, she's... at some later in their relationship, yeah. a mother, and you know it's hard. Um, but now most people believe that Emily and Susan were in a relationship for most of the time that they sure. knew each other. Um, over the course of their relationship, Emily sends Susan over three hundred letters, which is the mo- she Emily writes letters well, yeah. all the time. It's like all the time. Um, but of her correspondence, That's that is the most, the most of any well, of the people she wrote to. I can't imagine writing. More than that to anyone. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. Who would be higher on that list? Yes. Not many people. Exactly. Probably no one. Um, and if you read excerpts from some of their letters, oh, I they read were so not to her, I don't think, but yeah. maybe other people. They were clearly, yeah. clearly in a relationship. And it's not one of those like, oh, that's just they how people just talk. Pals. They were just gals being pals. Or like, you know, people were more affectionate with their no, no. It's it's they're very clearly in a relationship. Right. Um, and she's in her life for most of the rest of her life. So I think Emily Dickinson was a lesbian. lesbian, and they're like extra, extra credit. credit. Yep, had to, had to land had to land that plane. <laughs> it always has to be there. We love a John Mulaney goof. We do love a John Mulaney and goof. John Mulaney. And yes, and that's one of my favorites. That yeah. bit really got me the yeah. first time. Well, as a fellow English major, to to John Mulaney, most of that whole spiel. Was very relatable yeah. to me. <laughs> I took, um, we read Emily Dickinson in one of my English classes, and when we, like, got in to college? her. In college? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when we got to her, I was like, I'm waiting for the moment to make that exact joke. I was like, when can I call Emily Dickinson a lesbian in class, and it will be fine. Who was your teacher? Um, why can't, I'm blanking on everyone's Male name. Male or female? Female. Lawson. Lawson, yes. yeah, Lawson, yeah. Oh, yeah, she was yeah. down, and we talked about it in class. Yeah. We talked about how she was probably anyway, a lesbian. Love yeah. her. Yeah, anyway. she's great. That was so whole. My this brain is what just happens when we're so in hard. person. We're just going to go off a lot of Yeah. Rap. Okay. Anyway. Around this same time, uh, Emily's mother becomes bedridden from various chronic illnesses ah. that she had kind of been suffering from, but they start getting worse sure. around this time. So because she remains mostly bedridden until her death in 1882, uh, Emily has to stay home and take care of her mother. Emily's the oldest, right? Uh, well, of the, she, of the girls. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um. Yeah, she has to stay home and take care of her mother, and she takes on most of the household duties. Um, Which she just loves. Yeah, she loves it. Um, But I was reading, you know, later, Lavinia said, you know, one of us had to stay home with mom all the time because she was, she needed care. Yeah. Um, And she said something about how Emily, like, preferred the company of her books, so she was happy to do it. Well, sure. She she could just stay home and read. Yeah. yeah, um, And and this is when she starts to become more reclusive. Yeah. um, Because she has to be home to take care of her mother anyway. Right. She likes being home, so she just stays home. Sure. (laughs) Um, Throughout this time is when Emily starts to write more. She's obviously writing a lot of letters all of the time. Yeah. (laughs) um, But she also has started writing a lot more of her poetry around this time. Um, in the summer of 1858, she starts making a manuscript book of some of the poetry she's already written. Okay. So she starts, like, making clean copies of some of her okay, poems yeah. and binding them, keeping them in little collections. Uh, between 1858 and 1865, she will end up making 40 of these books that will wow. hold about 800 poems. Oh, my God. In, in that short 
seven years. Yeah, in, in yeah, seven years. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Very uh, Alexander Hamilton of her. Oh, my God. Extremely. <laughs> Just always writing. Yeah. Uh, in the late 1850s, Emily becomes friends with Samuel Bowles, who is the editor-in-chief of the Springfield Republican, which is a very prominent uh, magazine, magazine uh, in that area. She writes him several letters and sends him, like, 50 poems in their in the course of their correspondence. There's a tiny percentage of my poems. Yeah, for real. Wow, there are 50. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he publishes a few of her poems in the in Republican. The um, some of those I think he published without her knowledge. Cool. Um, <laughs> but others... He, well, she sent them. Yeah. So. Um, but most of the ones that get published are pretty heavily edited, which we're going to talk about more okay. towards the end of this. Um, Did he publish them with her name or... I don't know. Okay, I'm not curious. sure. Um, probably. There were more female writers. Well, yeah. In, the, in this time period. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if they were just like, and here's a poem. You know how magazines yeah. do sometimes? Yeah. <laughs> just literally just like, and here's some writing. Yeah. Somebody sent me this. Here you go. Uh, by the early 1860s, she has almost completely re- withdrawn from social life. She spends most of her time yeah. inside. Hold up. Um, hold up, yes. Yeah. And this is also the time that she writes the most. The the I, well, Yeah, what else is she doing? I read like... Two thirds of the poetry she writes in her lifetime is written during this period. Yeah, yeah, it's all she's doing. What else would she be doing? Yeah, uh, there's like controversy and theories about why she was so secluded. Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lot of it comes down to she just liked her own company. Well, and she at that point is used to being home all the time mm-hmm. because she had to be for her mother. So yeah, why change your routine if it's working? Yeah. I guess. Um, but during her lifetime, she was apparently diagnosed as having a, a nervous prostration, which is, you know, just basically doctor terms back then for saying she was mentally have, ill or you have anxiety or yeah, whatever. Or depression. Um, she certainly had social anxiety. Yes, for sure. Um, and depression, as we've pointed out. Yeah. Some people now believe that she may have had agoraphobia, like extreme oh, fear of going because. As her life goes on, she becomes more, like, she just, like, won't leave the house. Well, that's something I think that I'm, I'm not a mental health professional. <laughs> I'm not a doctor of any kind. But I think that's something that can develop. Yes. Depending on your surroundings. Surroundings. Yeah. Um, so that wouldn't surprise me at all. Because it, it's, like, there's one thing about saying, like, I, I don't prefer others' company. Right. It, it becomes very extreme right. as her life goes on. So that wouldn't be surprising to me. Um, some people also think she might have had epilepsy. Um, because she was ill and, and had, like, bouts of illness. Right. Um, and also that could mess with your nerves as well. Oh, totally. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. That's also probably decently it's accurate. definitely possible. Yeah. Um, in 1862, Emily reads an article by, uh, literary critic Thomas Wentworth Higginson. What a name. Yeah, right? Uh, called A Letter to a Young Contributor which contains advice for young writers who are looking to be published. Mm, okay. And she decides to write to Higginson for advice about her writing and publication. Okay. So they become friends through these exchanges, mm-hmm. and they write to each other for the rest of her life. They become very good friends okay. for, for a long time. He attempts to help her with her writing, like gives her advice and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he 
he wants her to publish her work, but she doesn't really know how to ask for the literary advice okay. that she's looking for. So sure. she's like curious she's about like, publication. Okay, I wrote these things. What do I do? Yeah, and she's curious about publication, but he doesn't think that she strongly wants it because, because she's she, not expressing. That. Yeah, and so he doesn't push her right. because he doesn't think that that's something that okay. she wants. And I was reading. Some people said they think that if he had pushed her, she probably would have published. Yeah. Because she valued his opinion. Right. And so it's possible, but their friendship just remains that for the rest of right, right, right. her life. So in 1866, the Dickinson's household servant gets married and leaves their service. So, oh, so it's just them. Emily has to take up basically all of the household oh, work at this man. point because her mom is so unwell. Right. Um, so this is when she starts writing less. Where's her sister? Um, I don't I don't know. Okay. She she never married either, but she might still be at school at this point okay. because she finished. She's not home with them at Amherst a little after Emily, and okay. then she went to Ipswich, I think. Oh, okay. Um, for her further education, okay. so she, it's possible she's still at school okay. at this point, and if not, she's probably home and helping. But Emily's the head of the right, house now, right, essentially. Right. So, um, but this is when she starts writing less because she's busy. busy. Yeah. Uh. She also does not leave the house unless it's absolutely necessary, basically, at this point. Um, by Same. <laughs> yeah, a lot of Emily's life currently it's is quarantine. relatable. Yeah. yeah. Um, by, uh, here's, here's another bit for that. By as early as 1867, she begins speaking with visitors through the door instead of face-to-face, <laughs> which we know well. Yep, yep, yeah. Um, but she wears she's, a mask everywhere she goes. <laughs> but she's known to do that for a while yeah. also. So this is where her, like, truly reclusive nature, like, yeah. really, she, she just doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, despite not seeing many people, she's still very friendly, well, and social sure. through her letters. So she's she writes to – she's tons of friends It's a total misconception yeah. that people who are reclusive have to be mean and friendless. That's not real. Yes. I, yeah. That's nothing. Um, but, yeah. she So she still has a lot of friends. And she sends her friends or, like, when visitors come and she probably doesn't see them. She probably, like, stays upstairs yeah. or whatever. She'll send them, like, flowers and gifts to, like, okay. thank them for coming. And she also accompanies them with, like, her poems. So she'll write a little something oh, to someone and then she'll cute. send it along. And she she was like, I think they appreciate the gifts more than the poems, but I do it anyway. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, that was kind of her, her spirit of it. Um, she's also still very close with her, her family. Mm-hmm. Um, Austin and Susan are very protective of her privacy. So oh, they, they you know, Make sure ask people, don't people to her. not bother her. Yeah. yeah. Um, but she's very close with them and their children. So she's very close with her nieces and nephews. Mm-hmm. Um, and they love her. Like, it, later, when they describe her, they're always like, she was so fun and and sure. we loved being around she her. She isolate and, from her family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and she was also apparently very friendly to, like, neighborhood children. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was just adults she didn't like as much, which is, fair again, enough. totally fair. Um, in, I just love this little story, little okay. excerpt. In 1870, or, oh gosh, wow. Let's, let's walk that one yeah. back. Yeah. Okay. In 1870, Higginson comes to visit her. So he he had written her and said, you should come to Boston to and see me. Said, and she said, no, no but if you're, you if you're going to be here, you, you can come see by. me. Yeah. You can come see me in Amherst. Um, and he later describes her as, quote, 
a little plain woman with two smooth braids of reddish hair and a very plain and exquisitely clean white peak. Is that how you yeah. say that? Yeah. Uh, and a I think so. blue net worsted shawl. <laughs> um, She's a little old lady. Basically. She's not even that old at this no. point, but she kind of. She gives off that vibe, yeah. though. Uh, he also felt that he was never, quote, with anyone who drained my nerve power so much. <laughs> Without touching her, she drew from me. I am glad to not live near her. <laughs> I just love that She's like so a much. lot. It's just like, she was so blood that she just sucked. That's so funny. The energy out of me. It's so funny. So in her lifetime... Emily is known as more of a gardener than she is as a poet. Um, she is well known for her garden at their well, family's she's not home. Published, yeah. So, um, well, except for the few poems that were in the magazine. But also, like amongst her friends and family, they yeah. don't really know that she writes as much as right. she does. She she writes them letters. She occasionally sends along. She's poems. not a professional writer. It's not what she's getting. Right. You know exactly. How she's made her living. So, um, but she keeps a very large garden at her family's home. Uh, during her life, she creates a 66-page leather-bound herbarium huh. containing 424 pressed flowers wow. that she labeled and classified. That's cool. Yeah. So, I, apparently, that's something she started in school. It was, like, a project oh, for one of her classes, okay. and she just kept it up throughout that's her cool. life. Yeah. Um, and it's on display in some museum. I was going to say, it has to be somewhere. Yeah, right? it's on display in some museum. I can't remember which one. Um, but I just thought that was cool. Yeah, I love that she, really cool. she did that. Um... In either 1872 or 73, I couldn't find mm-hmm. the exact year, uh, Emily becomes friends with Otis Phillips Lord, who is a Massachusetts Supreme Court judge. Uh, he's a little older. His wife has died at this point, and okay. she's getting a little older. So some people believe that they had, like, a late-in-life romance. Mm. But most of their letters were destroyed, which we'll talk about Aww. later. Um, so it's kind of hard All to say. speculation, yeah. Um, and. She she referred to him in more, like, loving language, but that is also just how she talked about her friends. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to say, and it's possible, but it, we don't really know. Right. And also, I'm pretty sure she was a lesbian, so... Oh, well, she definitely was. Unlikely. But that doesn't mean she couldn't have a companionship <laughs> yes, with him. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, now, here is where it starts to go pretty rough for Emily. Oh, boy. Um, it always has to happen. So, on June 16th, 1874, her father has a stroke and dies... Um, during the funeral at their home, Emily stays in her room with the door cracked open and she does not attend the Mm. memorial service. So she's present, but she's not. Yeah. Uh, in 1875, her mother has a stroke that leaves her paralyzed and she also starts losing some of her memory. So Emily is really her caregiver now, like more so than she ever has been. Mm -hmm. And that's just, just a year after her father dies. Um, on November 14th, 1882, I know we're skipping some time, but That's this okay. portion of her life is a lot of her working at home. Right. right? Um, so on November 14th, 1882, Emily's mother dies. Mm. And then in 1883, Emily's favorite nephew, Gilver- Gilbert, dies of typhoid fever. Oh. And then in 1884, Otis Philip Lord dies. Oh. So three years Man. in a row, she loses three very important people in her life. And she's already has so much trouble with, with death, death yeah um that and she's older and she's already kind of sick yeah. that it it leaves an impression on sure. her she has a hard time recovering from that 
So in the summer of 1884, Emily faints in her kitchen and she has several weeks of poor health to follow. Like she fainted and was unconscious for several hours. Wow. Um, because just nobody was in the yeah. house. You know, her dad's gone. Her mom's gone. They have like one servant, I think, at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, so she she was pretty sick right. uh, for a while after that. And then by the end of 1885, she's bedridden for several months wow. with some kind of illness or something right. like her. Austin had to like cancel some trips because he needed to come care help for her. care for her. On May 15th, 1886, uh, Emily Dickinson dies at age of 55. And the doctor says, no, it's not. But, with as as kind of sick as she already was, and as sick as well, her family yeah. members and were, you have to imagine that her being home all the time did affect her health. Yes, because she wasn't out like getting air as much. I mean, she gardened, but you know, it, it does it, makes it a does difference. affect your health. Yeah, when you're like inside your house most of the time, we all know that. Now. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, the doctor says the cause of death is Bright's disease, which that's is a <gasps> my Siri relax. <laughs> she said that's not nice what? about what girl no that was so weird <laughs> okay that was so weird um but okay. yeah Bright's disease it's a kidney disease oh, I believe okay. um that she had had I think he said for like two and a half weeks and it's what mm. killed her um at that point during her lifetime only 10 of her poems and one letter are published wow. um and like I said before her the poems that were published were usually heavily edited. Mm. So her style of poetry uses a lot of like unconventional punctuation yes. and capitalization. Yes. Um, and also n- not terribly conventional uh, rhyming, rhyming schemes, schemes for the time period. Right. More so now, but not yeah. then. So well, more so now because, because of her yeah, writing. yeah. Um, so usually when they were published, they would edit out a lot of her pu- yeah. punctuation and her. Capitalization, capitalization. And, and a lot of that kind of stuff um which changes the meaning of the poem oh yeah the reason she did well, it she like did that it was because it yeah. was how it was meant to sound um before her death she asked her sister lavinia to burn all of her letters which she did oh. she wanted no i don't know why but she didn't want her correspondence kept um i mean i guess that's fair yeah i don't know uh but it's it's sad yeah and some have survived obviously because other people had them and they missed some in the process or whatever so we do actually have a fair number of her letters now but she wrote so many that are just gone but she did not leave any instructions for what she wanted to be done with her 1800 (laughs) poems that Lavinia discovered when going through her personal things like she found all those poetry books that she made right and she left no instructions for those whatsoever. And Lavinia... Well, because she didn't think they were important. Yeah. yeah. And Lavinia thought they were brilliant. Well, yeah, they are. So she wanted to publish them. Lavinia decides that she wants to get Emily's work published. Mm-hmm. Um, she asks Susan Gilbert and Austin for mm-hmm. help. And then she also asks Mabel Loomis Todd for help. Mabel Loomis Todd is Austin's mistress. Okay. Got it. Um, They disagree about her work and how they should go about publishing it. Mm-hmm. And... Basically, a feud develops between Lavinia and the Dickinsons and the Todds. So, Mabel gets some of her manuscripts and Lavinia has others. And so, it's split between them. And and because they so disagree on how they should go about publishing them, it, like, really harms the relationships between the families. Well. 
uh, which were already rough anyway. Right. <laughs> um, so in November of 1890, a collection of Emily's poems is first published. It was edited by Todd and by Higginson. Okay. And the poems are heavily edited to fit the more standard the way punctuation, capitalization, right. whatever. Um, the initial collection, though, was a, a financial success. So they eventually released two more collections of her poems. Also edited? Also edited okay. in, the same, in the same fashion. Um, when her poems are first released, there's, like, kind of mixed reviews. Well. Um, people clearly like it. It mm-hmm. sold really well. Mm-hmm. But some critics are, like... It's still a little unconventional, even with yeah. the edits, and people thought it was a little, like, unpracticed or whatever, because whatever. She, she didn't do it professionally. Right. Yeah. Um, and because she was ahead of her time. Her writing yeah, was very different. Was. By the time, by, like, the 1900s... Would have been standard. W- well, not standard. Right. It still would have been excellent. Well, but. her poems start being considered modern. Right. Because the style has changed so much. Yeah. And so she doesn't start to be, like, truly appreciated until the 1900s. Yeah. Which, honestly, is not that long after no. these get published. Um Between 1914 and 1945, several new editions of Emily's poetry are published, and because the manuscripts were split between the Dickinsons and the Todds, the differently edited versions of her original poems, like, compete for several years. So the descendants of Susan and the descendants of uh, the Todds take the poems and publish them in several different ways. Um, So there are, like different versions of the same poem and so it keeps her name in the Mm -hmm. public arena for a while because of the confusion really but um um in 1955 wow thomas h johnson publishes a three volume set of emily's poetry he presents the poems as near to the original manuscripts as he possibly can he keeps the original punctuation and capitalization Mm -hmm. um all of her poems originally were untitled Right, yes. So he publishes them untitled. Yeah. And instead numbers them in, like, a roughly chronological order. Mm -hmm. So part of the problem with publishing them with all of the punctuation and capitalization edited is that poems usually had titles. So they often titled them. The ones that were published in her lifetime usually got titled when they got published. Um, But Thomas H. Johnson says, no, we should put out her work. How she wrote it. How it was written. Which, by that point, was necessary. Well, yeah. You know, like, she was well enough known and beloved at that point that people wanted Wanted her original work. Um, And uh, slightly later, Johnson also publishes a collection of Emily's remaining letters. Also in, like, a three-volume set. So he combined all of her original Mm -hmm. stuff and put it all out. Good for him. Um, Yeah. So that's her. That's Emily Dickinson's her. life. Um, there's so I could cool. probably talk a lot more about her actual poetry and style. Well, All of the themes yeah. that she wrote about are fascinating. And, yes. you know, she has left a hugely lasting le- legacy. I love Dickinson. Um, but that sort of sums up the last of her life and her work. So I love her. Me too. She's a fascinating person. I agree. Yeah. Should we find out what Google wants to know about <sighs> Absolutely her? we should. <laughs> Let's start with was Emily. Uh, I'm Dickinson. not gonna look because usually I can't see what you're googling. Okay, so the first one is married. No, married. never married. And her sister Lavinia also never married. Mm-hmm. Um, was Emily Dickinson a recluse? Absolutely, a hundred percent. Yep. Uh, was Emily Dickinson a feminist? Ooh. 
that's interesting. By our standards, I would say probably. Yeah. That's probably how we would describe her. I would describe her as, I don't know. I mean, feminism is a movement. Yes. She was not part of the movement. No, because the movement didn't exist Did she as strongly then. feminist ideals? I think so. Certainly. Yeah. yeah I, I agree with say. that. And also she became very popular in like the third wave oh, of the yes. feminist movement. Oh, yeah. So that also has an effect there. I would say she resented the role that she was supposed to play. Yeah. And therefore would have fit in as a feminist. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. I think so, too. Um, a romantic poet. I don't I would say no. I don't think so. Some of her poems have some romantic elements, but I don't think she's a romantic poet. No, I wouldn't. No. I would say no. Uh, famous when she was alive. No. No. She was not. Um, I don't, I don't know this one. Was Emily Dickinson blind? Why would we think that? Search it. Why? <laughs> what? I affliction suffered in her mid-30s. Huh. Oh, look at that. She had a problem with her eyes. I didn't know that. That's interesting. But she w- did not go blind. Right. Huh. I have never heard that Me before. either. I was, Okay. Well, there you go. Good for Google. <laughs> Google taught us something for once. For once. Shocking. Um, Christian? No. No. <laughs> she was not. I mean, I guess technically, like, she well, was probably baptized in a Christian church. And I don't think she was against God. No. Because she talks about a she relationship with God a lot in her poems. Yeah, she wasn't into organized religion. Right. She had problems with that, which, mm-hmm. understandable. Uh, was Emily Dickinson rich? She, she They weren't poor. They were well off they were well off yeah her family was pretty well off but she wasn't like wildly wealthy yeah by today's standards i'd probably call her middle class probably upper middle upper upper middle middle. yeah because they had servants um and then the last one is was emily dickinson published in her lifetime no she was not. well i mean she had some a couple a couple but the The collections were not the way we are thinking of it no not until not Not until after her death yep did it did it love we her recorded together in the same room and, and it, was it was weird strange but here we are yep. at the end of it we've done it <laughs> well i don't know what i'm going to talk about next time that's fine um i'll figure it out <laughs> but listeners if you have suggestions for what you want to hear us talk about in 2021 oh my gosh new year save us um <laughs> you can email us at remember that pod at gmail.com you can also find us on twitter at rtt pod we're also on facebook if you just search the name of the podcast um if you want to give us a rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast that would be really great for us um if you want to find me on the internet i am at the real anna webb and i'm at acw nerdfighter first episode of 2021 in the books yeah in a weird way. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but it's fine. Here we are. Here we go. 2021, baby. All right. Well, until that next time. Remember that time. Remember that time.